Hey guys, John Paulamy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, March 12th, and this is the weekly market update. As always, the disclaimer, anything that you see or hear on this video or podcast is not to be taken as investment advice. This is for informational purposes only. I am not a financial advisor. I cannot give you individual financial advice. Please take this into consideration when listening to this video or podcast. Do your own due diligence. It's your money. It's your responsibility. So before I get started, uh, just want to ask for your help again, um, trying to get the channel to grow, trying to get the word out to more people. If you like these videos, if you enjoy the content that we're putting out here, help me out by liking the videos, commenting, sharing them. Um, on the podcast, guys, listen to the podcasts, uh, whatever podcast forum you're listening to it on, if you can write us a review or however they do it on a particular podcast stream that you use, star, put you know five stars, whatever. Uh, I'm asking for your help on that. It helps increase the distribution and the algorithm sees that uh, people are engaged. So it helps us. Again, you know, we do have the newsletter, which is doing fairly well right now. I mean, obviously, we have a lot of new subscribers coming on board because resources and commodity prices have been surging because of the well, they were already surging, but because they've been that's been moves been exacerbated by the uh, recent invasion. But um, if you're wondering how to take advantage, how you can navigate through these perilous times, you know, I think things are going to get a lot more difficult for people uh, all over the world, whether you're in the um, developed world or the developing world. I think, you know, we're already seeing the high gas prices. You're seeing it on Twitter. You're seeing the uh, current administration blame the you know, blame high gas prices and inflation on Vladimir Putin. I don't think that's really going to work. I don't think American people are that stupid. They realize that uh, prices were on the rise before uh, this uh, financial war that we got into with Russia. But regardless, uh, that's for another discussion and for the November elections. But, um, you know, this is perilous times navigating these financial um markets i mean there's tons of volatility we said there would be volatility even before the invasion and now with this invasion and all the things that are going on every time that the news is coming out for various things we're seeing markets uh vacillating up and down and so i'm sticking you know with my thesis for the most part you know we have lack of investment a lot of money printing is leading to supply and demand imbalances, and that's not going to be rectified anytime soon. Uh, I don't want to sit here and make predictions, but I think we have to discuss something. Somebody said the other day on, uh, maybe it was Twitter or on the Discord channel, I don't recall, but, you know, what would happen to certain oil field services stocks if the oil price went to 150, spiked to 150. So, what I think is going to happen, I mean, the economy is already weak. We're throwing these high energy prices on it. You know, I would say that just about all of the previous recessions we've had in the last times that I can think have been preceded by high energy prices. 
and um, you know the Federal Reserve constricting liquidity via its operations and raising rates. Well, I don't. We're in a we're in a, an environment where I don't think the Federal Reserve is going to be able to raise rates too much. I believe they'll probably raise rates in March. They'll start talking the language about more tightening during the year, but they're really behind the curve. And what can they really do with the amount of debt that's out there, with the amount of uh, zombie companies, with the amount of just even the federal debt? So it's not like, you know, we can go back to the Volcker days. We've talked about this before in the video where Paul Volcker back in the late 70s, early 80s raised, you know, when, when inflation was like 12 or 15 percent in the U.S., he raised rates to like 18 or 20 percent and basically caused a massive, a massive um economic uh, recession and that choked off the inflation. We clearly can't afford to do that now with the debts where they are. Individuals indebted, companies indebted, and uh, the governments around the world indebted. So I think, you know, energy prices, I've, I've said this before, you know, uh, Jim Paplava on the Financial News News Hour, he's got a news hour he's been doing. I've been listening to him for like 20 years and he's said all along that, you know, as we got into this zero bound era, era where the Fed was constricted on being able to raise rates, that energy prices would be the new Fed funds rate. And I believe that. And so what I suggest what ha is going to happen is that prices for energy and other things like food are going to continue to go up. Obviously, if you're paying more for rent, food, gas, all these things, you don't have as much money for consumer discretionary spending. And this is, I think, is going to lead to slower economic growth. I don't like talking about the macro too much, but, um, and that doesn't mean I'm selling stocks or anything right now, but I'm telling you to be aware of the fact that I think what you're going to possibly see, this is a scenario that I'm thinking about in my mind, as the economy slows down, which it's already slowing um, for the reasons I just said, They'll raise rates, like I said, this month at the next meeting, talk about raising them again, and then the economy is going to start going down. Maybe the inflation rate pulls back from, you know, the current 8% to 5 And I, I honestly believe by the end of the year, the Fed's going to reverse course and begin uh, reliquifying, you know, QE5, whatever you want to call it. So I'm not a fortune teller. I don't know what's going to happen for sure. I have no particular insight, especially on macro issues, but um, we need to watch certain indicators like I've talked about before, because this is these commodity markets, these resource markets, they're a light cycle, right? This is the first thing that happens is usually the bond market cracks, then the stock market cracks, and then commodities are last. And so I still think we have some more upside, but we're getting later in the game for things like oil, copper, things like that. Now, if we do in fact have a recession, you know, think about this, we have a congressional election in uh, eight months, nine months. And so I think that, uh, you know, this is going to be very interesting to see what happens. So if oil keeps, you know, if oil keeps going up, um, it, like I said, it will constrict discretionary spending um, and cause a recession in my view. And like I said, what's the Fed going to do? I mean, they have to respond, right? And how, how do you respond if inflation's six, seven, 8%? I mean, this could get really ugly. This is why I still think that gold is a, a longer term great investment because 
or speculation because this is just crazy. You, you've created a situation now where, you know, I was on the fence about um, inflation being transitory or a secular phenomenon. It's got to be a secular phenomenon, right? As we'll show in the, in the notes here, in the slides, I mean, the world, the globalism's collapsing. Um, we're going to see countries are looking out for themselves now. Um, there's going to be less trade, less trust from based on, you know, if you're a U.S., if you're outside the United States and you saw what the United States government just did by basically going full financial nuclear, all nuclear on Russia, on the central bank of Russia and all these things, you know, this is not really, um, this is unprecedented and it sends a message, right? It sends a message that law and order, due process, these things don't really matter. You know, you might not like what Russia has done, but no one, no, no other ba central banks and governments have the right to seize the central. This is like sovereign type uh, type situation, in international law. It's beyond the scope of this, but of this conversation. But you've sent a message now to the rest of the world that, you know, um, if you don't do and think about this, you know, central bank, digital currencies and all this, do you really want to now, what's that do for that, right? Are people going to be really thrilled about that? Um, if you put the wrong tweet up or whatever, you saw what they did in Canada, you, you see these governments are rogue is what I'm saying. And, um, you know, the U S doesn't really make anything anymore. It's doesn't really export. I mean, it's still exports, but we have a lot of financial issues. Our main thing that attracts, that helps besides the mili our military might, but the thing that helps keep the dollar, the reserve currency is the trust factor and the rule of law. And I think we've done a lot of damage to that uh, recently. So globalism and decreasing regional blocks and individual countries becoming more insular, less exports, less uh, trade. This is uh, deflate. This is not deflationary. This is inflationary. So a lot of things are cooking. But uh, we're still seeing draws on oil. Um, oil inventories are still going down. So we'll keep watching that for a leading indicator. Um, if we see an increase in drilling or increase or a decrease in demand, we'll start seeing inventories climbing and we'll you know, make the necessary pivots. Uh, and, and, and I can tell you right now, when it comes time to sell these things, there's going to be a lot of people that are listening to this be like, no, I'm not selling. Uh, this is going to keep going. You have to understand, I want to reemphasize this. A lot of the things we've talked about, a lot of the, the, the things that we have made a lot of money on, they are not linear from the lower left of the chart to the upper right. They don't just go up linear. These are cyclical speculations and investments. And cyclical means they go up and they go down. And knowing when to get off the train at the top of the cycle or as close to the top is a very hard thing to do. Um, so don't marry these stocks. Don't become enamored with them. There will be a time to sell. It's probably closer than you think, but uh, we could see a, you know, a short correction. And then, like I said, uh, you have to be nimble and, and, active, and active because there's so many things happening now that, um, you know, like I said, I think that we end up by the end of the year back into easing. But what does that mean? Are we going to throw ourselves into a recession? So like I said, there's a lot of moving parts. And uh, I know I'm being a little bit wordy here and um, long winded, but I'm trying to get across the point because I've got a lot of emails recently, people have done very well. And I want people to preserve those gains, you know, I don't want them to, you know, 
ride things down. You know, I want somebody wrote me and asked me, you know, when's the best time to sell? If you've reached the goals in your life that you want to reach, if you if you're there right now, don't be greedy. If you have the money to buy the house that you wanted to buy or whatever you were wanting to do and you're financially able to do that now, then there's nothing wrong with cashing out, take paying your taxes and doing whatever you wanted to do. Um, it's when people become greedy or they try to catch that last 10 or 20% move is when things go wrong. So like I said, I'm not suggesting that you should go out and sell, that we're in imminent danger of, you know, a recession or these things going down. Like I said, there's a lot of plates in the air, but I just want you to, I, I like to keep reemphasizing that because a lot of people have told me they've done very well. And I want to make sure that uh, they understand that there will be a time to get off this uh, train. Okay. So, you know, we've talked about this before. This is like a better, better slide that I was, that I found during the week. And it kind of talks about the, um, you know, these countries that are in the brown, these are the, your major wheat exporters, right? And you see that um, not, Russia is 19% of the world's wheat exports. Ukraine's 12%. The United States and Canada are up there in this Argentina down here. Uh, people don't really think of that, but it's a very, you know, it, it has a lot of economic issues, but it is a very large agricultural producer. But look at all the countries' percent of global net imports. Look at all the countries that rely on importing wheat. Egypt, you know, here's Algeria, Libya, uh, a lot of Africa, a lot of South America, Asia. Um, so we have a situation where... Um, like I said before, the fifth large, the, the fifth largest wheat exporters being invaded by the first largest. So Russia now has all these economic sanctions on it. It said it's not going to export certain things like food, fertilizer. That affects other countries that rely on these imports. Um, there's not going to be a grain crop in Ukraine. I mean, it's time to plant <clears throat> in the next couple of weeks, and that's not going to happen now because of the um, because of the war situation in the eastern part of the country where a large part of the grain is grown so just want to re-emphasize this that uh this hasn't shown up yet the gas prices they've shown up people are complaining this is going to lead to unpredictable and unknown social political turmoil around the world uh later this year and into next year that i don't think anybody's given a lot of thought to where most people haven't and um, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a big deal, bigger than most think in my mind. So, so I said, get ready for the food shortages. And I'm not sure how much the West has thought about this before they put these sanctions on and thought through what's going to be the uh, repercussions, the second and third order effects. It doesn't appear to me, at least, that that has happened. So here's a. Um, tweet that came out, Putin decides to ban the export of products and raw materials outside the Russian Federation until December 31st. We've went over uh, last week, I believe, um, and you can do it on your own, do some research. The Just the amount and variety of things that Russia exports that the rest of the world needs. 23% of the high-grade nickel, all kinds of weird things I didn't even know about. Same thing with Ukraine. I mean, 
90% of the neon gas that's used in semiconductor. I mean, all these weird things that nobody ever thought about have now been either disrupted because of Ukraine not, you know, being the center point of the conflict and Russia basically um, either being sanctioned or saying it's not going to export these things. And so, you know, it's not like you can just flip a switch and just, I, I don't know where you even get neon. Do you just process it out of the atmosphere? Is there deposits of it in the ground like helium? I don't know enough about it, but all these weird things like sapphires and stuff that are used for certain, there was just a phenomenal amount of obscure raw materials that come out of these places that you wouldn't even think about. So is that going to be inflationary or deflationary? Well, of course, it'll be more inflationary, right? It'll cause more supply chain issues. You know, as an example, was the, um, a, a lot of like German automakers import a lot of parts and stuff from Russia. And uh, yeah, of course, they're not going to do business with them. All Everybody's rushing, falling all over themselves to sanction and they're not going to do business. Shell and all these other companies are going to, you know, basically write off their investments in Russia that are worth billions of dollars, just means the Chinese will buy them, for, you know, five or 10 cents on the dollar. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that I don't think a lot of thought has went in. It was a knee-jerk reaction. Let's go ahead and do this. And now what do you do? Um, and like I said, there will be elections in the West. And uh, as long as there's democratic elections, people will not put up with their standard of living being gone down. You know, we're starting to see the disease that cannot be mentioned has now receded. You know, they, somebody I saw put a uh, fake Time News, Time Magazine news cover and it said the man, you know, man of the year, and it had a picture of Vladimir Vladimir Putin, and the other uh, sidebar was the man that cured COVID, and uh, of course it's a joke because you know um, you don't hear anything about the pandemic, COVID, any of these other things. You just hear uh, about this uh, situation in, uh, in in Eurasia, in your in Ukraine. So um, this is pretty. Again, we don't know the knock-on effects here. No one's given this any thought. And yet the gas and oil hasn't been turned off to Europe yet. Um, a lot of people are not buying Russia's oil. They're self-imposed embargoes. But I think at some point that has to change, right? Because we're in a uh, lull part of the season for oil. And uh, as I'll get into a little bit later in another slide. So... Uh, Here's a Bloomberg headline from March 10th, Thursday. Uh, Russia introduces a temporary ban on grain exports to the Eurasian Economic Union countries of Armenia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, and Kyrgyzstan until August 31st. Sugar exports outside the EEU also banned. Grain restrictions would impact crops, including wheat, barley, and corn. Deliveries will still be possible under export licenses issued by Russia. Um, and so it's beginning, right? Uh, these are even countries that are friendly with um, with Russia. And I think that, you know, as you're going to see, we're getting more and more announcements now of countries can see what's going to happen. And they're going to start preserving their own stocks for their own populations. And uh, when the largest, basically, wheat exporter says it's going to ban grain exports temporarily, well, I think they want to see what the effects are, what the planting looks like, 
um, this is not going to be good, right? Uh, these countries are relying on on Russia for these exports. You know, here's Egypt now. Egypt is a country I'm worried about that relies on a lot of a lot of imports of foodstuffs, particularly wheat. As we talked about before, in 2011, the Arab Spring was set off because of the end of or the raising or end of certain food subsidies, causing the price of grains to go through the roof, um, and you know that caused a uh, a lot of political turmoil and fall of some governments. And that's you know is that where we really need the world now is more political instability in these countries. So it says here, Egypt will ban the exports of lentils, pasta, wheat, flour, and fava beans for three months from March 11th, its trade ministry said in a document seen by Reuters. And so we're seeing more of this. We saw, I saw another article, I couldn't find it before I put this video together about Iraq is out looking for, uh, scrambling around now looking for uh, grain to secure its grain that it needs for its population. So you know, it's one thing if you can't uh, import certain rare earth metals to build, you know, Teslas. It's another thing when you can't get enough food. Now, I'm not suggesting that you're going to see uh, starvation or food deprivation in the United States or Western Europe. But what you will see is tremendously higher prices because, uh, you know, we're going to have fertilizer prices are through the roof. That's another thing. I believe Russia and Belarus together supply 26% of the world's fertilizers. And with industrial type uh, agriculture that we do, uh, you, these, these inputs are critical for the, uh, to get the yields we need to feed the world. So um, it's, this isn't even predictable yet of how bad this could be. I'm just conceptualizing it in a fog of war, if you will, of, you know, it's obvious what's going to happen if you don't put the necessary inputs into the soil that your yields are going to be short and that you're not going to be able to export to the importing countries that are relying on you. But I don't know the extent of that yet. Um, but, you know, wheat prices went through the roof. Fertilizer prices are through the roof. And there's opportunities there. Now, here's a, uh, stole this off a Doomberg tweet. But here is the price of Western Europe ammonia. And I was cruising around here at about anywhere between $250, $300 a ton for the last four or five years. And then... You know, since we've had this situation, this was already going up um, before the recent hostilities broke out because of the gas prices in Europe going through the roof. You know, natural gas is the feedstock for urea and ammonia production, which are the components for making various fertilizers, nitrogen-based fertilizers. So if you need nitrogen, especially for corn, corn's very intensive, has an intensive need for nitrogen. Um, basically, you know, you've basically, I don't know, by a factor of four or five increase of the, of the nitrogen, uh, of the ammonia price. So, you know, this has to translate into higher food prices. Farmers can't grow at a loss. And so, you know, when you have natural gas prices at the equivalent of, you know, $300 a barrel of oil, we've already, I've even talked about this. We were talking about this even last year about, um, fertilizer plants in Europe having to shut down because of lack of gas or, or the gas price being too high. Again, um, and this was now has been exacerbated by the fact that Russia is not going to export any fertilizer. And so here's a tweet by Javier Blas, 100, 100 plus oil 
this is my headline, 100 plus oil and we are not even, and we are in turnaround season. So what do I mean? So we have declining oil inventories. We have demand uh, higher than anticipated at pre-pandemic levels. And we're in the turnaround season. We haven't even got into the big draws for the summer driving season. So um, what Mr. Bloss says here, no good, no extra US shale, no extra Iranian oil, no extra Venezuela, Venezuelan oil. And so far OPEC plus refuses to increase production. And it's early March, the lowest point of ref refinery crude intake. From here to August, refinery demand surges and crude inventories continue to draw. You know, typically uh, in this so-called shoulder season in the late winter going into the spring, um, the refineries shut down, they do maintenance turnaround, so they don't draw as many as much crude out of uh, storage to make um, gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, various, various products that they make. And uh, so we're in a situation now where we weren't building inventories. We're not seeing any new production. You know, we kicked off this thing with our, uh, with basically embargoing. And, you know, then we have this spectacle of the Biden administration early when it took over in the, in its, after it won the election, doing everything it can since then, canceling leases, canceling Keystone, basically having this undeclared war on fossil fuels because of its, renewable energy, green energy agenda uh, as a sop to the left wing and the environmental wing of, of the Democratic Party, which is fine. Um, elections have consequences. People win elections. They expect uh, the politicians that they put into power to do what they want them to do. But then, you know, and that's fine. You know, that, that's part of the agenda of the left, raise the price of gasoline and fossil fuels to help hasten the transition to so-called renewable energy. So I get it. Um, but you now you're in a situation where you're in, in a basically World War III. Uh, whether we know it or not, we're in World War III. Maybe it's not a kinetic war, but it's certainly an economic war. And so we go off and basically shut in or uh, self-embargo or uh, drop a financial neutron bomb on Russia and all these other countries jumping in uh, over, a over Ukraine and no thought given to where the oil is going to come from. And so you're, in the, you're, you're witness to the spectacle of, of the Biden administration in one, in one hand, um, demonizing uh, US-based oil companies, US-based fossil fuel producers, and yet over in Iran trying to get the Iranian deal, nuclear deal done, uh, not a very good deal from what I understand. So they can get Iranian oil on the market and then flying down to Venezuela and, and asking them for oil, because here's the situation, folks. You know, a lot of the refineries, you can't just take any kind of crude, crude uh, quality does matter in a refinery. You can't take the light oil that comes out of the Permian Basin and the U.S. shale place, which is a very high quality crude oil. Uh, the refineries that we have along the Gulf Coast and even in other areas of the U.S. are set up for dirty, crappy crude from, you know, Venezuela, Mexico, places like this. And uh, those crudes have went away because obviously the Venezuelan uh, oil industry has collapsed. Mexico has not invested sufficiently, so their exports have declined. And so we've made this up by 
importing Russian crude from Ural's crude, which is uh, a similar crude that's used uh, in, in, in some of our refineries. So I think we were importing up to like 800,000 barrels a day of Russian crude. So that's going to go away, right? So we have, you know, this schizophrenic behavior because we have an election coming up, a congressional election in the U.S., where we have the U.S. administration uh, demonizing U.S.-based fossil fuel producers on one hand, and then uh, running around and uh, you know talking to Iran and Venezuela, basically hat in hand, to get them to get to uh, produce more oil. I mean, this is ridiculous. This this is part of the problem, right? We have these politicians. They are very credentialed. You know, they've went to Yale and Harvard, they've been in the think tanks, but they, they don't seem to have any knowledge of the real world or how the real world works. Even if Venezuela, if you could get them to, if you could get Congress to lift the sanctions, which you couldn't, and they agreed to export more oil, they can't. Their industry has been starved for capital. It would take years, uh, literally years, for them to be able to increase their production sufficient to make a difference. And so, you know, we're really in a jackpot now. And um, we are passengers on a rocket ship and we have no controls. We have incompetent people at the controls and you're just gonna have to sit back and go along for the ride. And, um, you know, we had a respite recently but we're all over a hundred dollars a barrel and this economy I don't think can take it. And like I said, just like Mr. Bloss says here, um, from here to August, refinery demand surges and crude inventories continue to draw. We're supposed to be building crude inventories right now when these refineries aren't running. So that tells you that there's not enough supply of crude. So, you know, we could have a real issue later this spring and into the summer. And like I said, here we go. Um, as Doomberg says, twice Doomberg made it on to uh, the weekly market update. But the tweet says, we are led by unserious people. So here's everyone's favorite Martian or Elizabeth Warren, Senator from Massachusetts. Here's the quote from her. Putin's war is causing gas prices to rise, but this is no excuse for large oil companies to pad their bottom line with war-fueled profits. Senate Democrats are watching closely and are already working on a windfill profit tax. So we saw this during the 70s. So the idea here is, is that because of circumstances related to this war, the oil price is extremely high. Um, oil companies are making tremendous profits now and that uh, they should be taxed for that. And I'm going to tell you where the tax money, this populist type thinking is going to go, what they want to use it for. You know, it's interesting, the last several years, the oil companies in the U.S. lost $67 billion dollars. Um, there wasn't any relief for them. No one was uh, taking up a collection uh, to, uh, you know, help them. And so now we're in a situation where by no fault of their own, this is how cyclical industries work, right? You, you, you go through a period of no profits. Um, there's no investment that creates a supply uh, deficit. Prices go up and then more capital comes in and solves that supply deficit. As a matter of fact, the supply deficit is usually overcompensated for and that gives you a period of time where um, you consumers get to enjoy substantially lower prices. What this will do if it goes through, and the articles that I read it said it's going to have a hard time making it through the Senate, but this is just the mindset, right? Let's do more to demonize 
the production of fossil fuels. So if you're sitting in a boardroom, you're already not going to invest. The mindset is uh, cash returns to shareholders. So you're already not investing enough, uh, which Biden uh, already took after the oil companies for. And you see that this administration has been, like I said, had an undeclared war on, on fossil fuels. And now you have this nonsense. And this is what uh, Mr. Doomberg saying, or the Doomberg people. We are led by unserious people. This, this, this is exactly right. And so what, what are they going to use the money for? So here's the big idea from this Democratic congressman from California. It says here in the tweet, um, person that's commenting on it is, you almost can't make this up. We're led by idiots. Democrats unveil plan to issue quarterly checks to Americans by taxing oil companies posting huge profits. So the idea being, uh, you know, gas, gas stimmies, we're going to give you stimulus checks to compensate you for the higher energy prices. And of course, you know, people, the average person out there, yeah, if you're going to give me free money, I'll take it. But all these things tie together, right? You're not you're you're creating disincentives to produce more fossil fuels to make the price of oil go down. You know, economics 101. Uh, and so we're not choosing to do that. We're choosing to have more state intervention, more of these schemes and scams, and they just don't work. Uh, we went through this in the 70s with Jimmy Carter, and the results going to be the same. I, I, I suggest to you that we have a congressional election coming up in November, and the Democrats are going to get annihilated. It's just that simple. Um, the average person does not blame Vladimir Putin for higher gas prices. Gas prices were already doubled uh, since Biden came in, into office before this invasion situation, before this Russian uh, Ukrainian Ukraine situation. So, you know, never this is what these politicians do, right? They want to, you know, stick their finger up in the wind. What is, you know, so what can I do to get myself on the news? And what a wonderful, look, look what I'm doing. I'm for the little guy. And, you know, who's going to stick up for the oil companies, right? It's like sticking up for like tobacco companies. No one, no one's going to do that. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm not sure this goes through, but again, you know, uh, there's going to be a change in the Congress coming up in November. These people uh, that are in there now have, uh, this administration is, seems to be, you know, some people have suggested, well, this is all deliberate, John. No, it's not. These people really are this incompetent. They really are. There's no puppet master. You know, I listened to a good podcast uh, called The Duran. It has some really smart people there. And they had a, they did a, a live stream. And they were talking about this. One of the guys on there, guest, he's a lawyer that did a lot of uh, pandemic-related law stuff. I forget the guy's name. Roberts is his last name, I believe. I'll put a link to the uh thing in the uh, show notes you can check it out these are really smart guys and the guy went to Yale and he's like look it's no conspiracy these people are the kind of people where they've never worked on tools they don't know anybody that ever you know smoke cigarettes um they're vegans they're 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 they're, they're the people they're, they're like fake people they're in a bubble they're not exposed so they don't know how things were never been punched in the face they never worked a job for an hourly wage they don't know uh, anything about the real world. And so everything is a formula to them or a mathematics problem. And that's why you see these dumb, idiotic uh, decisions being made. Um, because a lot of it is like, the way that one guy explained it was like, it's like a Hollywood movie. That's the environment they come from, right? And 
we'll just try this or we'll just try that and that'll work. And so they asked like, what is the plan to deal with this, you know, Russia thing? And they said, you know, the one guy said that it made perfect sense to me. They're just going to keep trying things till something works. There is no plan. That's the problem. It's no nefarious, you know, Bill Gates and uh, George Soros together manipulating everything behind the scenes. It's just a bunch of incompetent people uh, that got way over their skis and now they don't know what to do. And so they're just going to keep doing things like this because you got to do something, right? Gas prices are high. Somebody's got to do something. And so they're just layer on one bad decision onto another, which creates more un, un, you know, unforecasted uh, results that have to be then dealt with with another dumb decision. So um, I don't know what the end result is, but this is tradable. This is what speculators thrive in these type of environments. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I, it, I'm agnostic at this point. I don't really care. What I want to what I want to understand is what is what are they thinking? What do they plan on doing? And then figuring out what these you know knock on effects are, and then trade accordingly. That that's what a speculator does. And so I thought it was funny. It's a perfect example of what I just was talking about is our transportation secretary, Mr. Pete Buttigieg. I think his name is pronounced Booty Judge, something like that. And, you know, he said this, and so did the energy secretary, uh, the former governor of Michigan, Granholm is her name, another person that's never worked in the energy industry, but yet she's the secretary of energy. And she just chuckled, they asked her about the high gas prices, she said, well, if you have an electric vehicle, it doesn't really affect you. Well, that was kind of stupid. But what was interesting is, is I just wanted to point this out, is I think Buttigieg said the same thing, if you have an electric vehicle, you know, high gas prices, you don't have to worry about it. But the funny thing to understand here is, is that part of our thesis that we've been talking about for a while now, the uh, view of heads I, heads I win, tails I win more. The problem is, is this, uh, this is the revenge of the miners, right? Um, the cost of all raw materials is going up. And so you see that this is the cost like for lithium hydroxide and in uh, March of 2021 was $465 um, uh, or you need how you need 38 kilograms of lithium hydroxide for this electric vehicle for a Tesla it costs $465 last year it's $2,400 this year um, you needed 47 kilograms of nickel $785 last year it's 47 so you see what I'm saying so the cost per vehicle has went up by a factor of three or four times since last year. But Pete Buttigieg says, I'll solve your problem, just buy you one of these. And so I think what, we're, what the people, in, again, the people that are making these decisions don't understand the supply chain. They don't understand where these materials come from. They don't understand how they're extracted and processed. They don't know what kind of machines are used that run off diesel. They don't know anything about the real world. It's all coffee house crap and, you know, theories and discussions inside of a bubble. And they don't know any, they don't know any people that work in the mining industry. They had never been to a mine. They think all mines should be closed down because of the environment. So what I'm trying to tell you is, is that this is not going to end well for the average person. And that's why you have to be nimble. That's why you have to have some capital <clears throat> and you have to understand what you're doing. You, the, you know, I'm, I was 
talking with some people the other day, part of a conversation listening, and they were talking about the stock market going down. And these people were all in 60, 40 portfolios. You know, they were in the typical Edward Jones financial advisor portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. And they're like, what's happening? Stock market's going down, you know, blah. They don't have a clue. You can't be one of those people. You're going to get wiped out. And so this is a perfect example, right? Uh, just buy an electric car. Yeah, but the price of the battery just went up four times in the last year. So who can afford to buy an electric car? I got my title here messed up, but here's something important. You know, the price of uranium, I think, surged around $10 this week up to around $60 a pound. U.S. way sanctions on Russian nuclear power supplier Ross Adam. We talked about this a little bit last week. Sorry about the title being askew here of this slide. I'm doing this a little bit late on Saturday night. I want to get it out. Um, Biden administration is considering imposing sanctions on Russia's state-owned atomic energy company, Ross Adam, a major supplier of fuel tech. Well, we know what they do. I want to get down here. They uh, okay. Ross Adam is a delicate target because the company and subsidiaries account for about 35% of global uranium enrichment and has agreements to ship the nuclear fuel to countries across Europe. Any punishment would also have to exempt the work Ross Adam does with the with Iran under the terms of the deal limiting the country's nuclear program, which Biden is seeking to revive. So again, you know, ready, shoot, aim. It looks like this is what the Biden administration did, and the people in the State Department, the hardliners that are driving this crazy policies of isolating Russia. You know, if Russia was some country that didn't produce anything and didn't do anything, no one would care. But 35% of the global uranium enrichment, um, you know, how, how well are the sanctions going to work if everything that we need in Europe needs, a lot of it comes from Russia? You know, if you have a what, what must be going on in the boardrooms and the fuel buyers offices of the major utilities in Europe and the US right now? You know, they had years and years of cheap uranium prices. They didn't have to give a thought to it. You can just, you know, buy all the uranium you want for $25 a pound, not worry about it. And now we're in a situation now where uh, the price was already, we're already in a bull market. Things are going up. And now you have the Biden administration talking about locking out Ross Adam because, you know, you can't just take yellow cake out of the ground and put it in a reactor. It has to be enriched. It has to be processed. It has to, you know, be turned into fuel rods. And this is what, you know, a lot of what Ross Adam does. The enrichment, you know, you can't just build enrichment facilities in, 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 a, in a month. So you won't be able to replace this. You know, people don't understand that the United States, 20% of the baseload electricity comes from nuclear power. And so if you start interrupting these cycles, you know, the utilities plan these things out well in advance. They're refueling, uh, where they're going to get the yellow cake, who's going to process it. They know down to the month, the week, the day that the stuff's going to be at the reactor for the refueling during the outage. And if you start messing around with these supply chain, I mean, there's going to be a scramble, right? Because people are going to want to lock in this. And this is where these things start breaking down. When people start looking at their own self-interest, if, you, if you're France or if you're a country that has a reactor or China or whatever, you're just like, I'm not, I'm not sanctioning these people. I, I, I need this. We've already seen like a couple of countries in Europe, like Hungary and stuff say, we're not sanctioning Russian energy. We need it or we'll die. I mean, it's basically what they're saying. So again, you know, 
would the Biden administration be so obtuse to do this? I mean, anything's possible at this point. Uh, I haven't seen a st the strategy make any sense up at this point. So anything's possible. And again, this will just raise the price. And so this is, uh, I think this is the last slide. Yeah, I want you to consider, oops. Oh. The stages of a bubble and where, where I think we are in like uranium, for example, you know, we're, we're basically the stealth phase was a couple of years ago when nobody but myself, John Quakes, and nobody and maybe one or two other people were talking about uranium on Twitter. And then we had, you know, the move into the um, more money started coming in, institutional investment, the Sprott vehicle got created. And now we're getting into the mania phase when the public comes in. It's getting that uh, media attention now. That's where we're we're between the media attention and enthusiasm stage. And I think we're moving. So this is very interesting to think about because this basically is how, how these bubbles go and how these cyclical type assets go. So you can take this and basically apply it to oil or anything else you'd like. But, you know, I think when it comes to uranium, we're kind of in that between the media attention and enthusiasm stage and the public you know, the public is where the main uh, the the main thrust of the uh, upside comes from. So as you can see, uh, this is when the most money is made. Also, uh, it would have been good. You know, a lot of people have, are getting in here. It would have been better to get in here. But this is the problem, right? You have to sit and wait. This can be one year to five years, right? Uh, for our, I mean, we were talking about this three or four years ago already. So um, it's going to be time to get paid off. But Please pay attention to this. When it gets up here, the new paradigm, thats it'll never go down. You'll hear all the justifications from all of the Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, why if uranium is $150 or $200 a pound, why it's going to $1,000 a pound and blah, yada, yada, yada. That, that's when you need to get out because this is inevitable. The fall is inevitable. So uh, we're not there yet. I just want to, I thought this, I saw this. Uh, I forgot where I got it, but um this, I like how it talks about the different, you know, um, stages here. And this, this is very, very accurate. It's not, nothing follows it, you know, exactly. No market's going to follow this exactly, but the, the, they do follow it quite uh, closely to this. Let's put it that way. And these different um, designations here are exactly right, especially on the fall, right? You'll have this denial, then a bull trap. It'll, it'll, balance then people say we're going back to the old highs don't worry and then it falls off and then you know it just keeps doing that through the years so uh, this is when a tremendous amount of money can be made but what happens is a large pe lot of people you know it, it's okay to get off right the elevator right here trying to catch that last top tick you're not going to do it get your head wrapped around the fact that if you do do it you'll get lucky um it'll just be luck it's not a bad thing to, you know, get off here if you got in here or got in here and getting off here. I mean, whatever you're comfortable with. You know, people ask me, when should I sell? When it becomes, you know, uh, when the thesis no longer makes sense to you. Well, I haven't done the work. I don't, what thesis are you talking about? Well, this should be a red flag for you. If you're laying in bed, chewing your fingernails and drinking Pepto-Bismol, sweating, wondering what you should do with your stomach growling, you should sell. Okay, so... Uh, 
if you've met the financial goals of your life that were important to you and you can lock it in, then sell. So each, what I'm trying to tell you is each person is going to be different. But if you think you're going to be that guy that top ticks this and try to get that last one or 2%, this is how you get caught in these downdrafts because you get caught in the downdraft. Here's what happens. And then emotionally you think it'll bounce. I'll sell. I don't want to give up, you know, cause I got in here and I could have had this gain, but I let it get away from me. So once it bounces, um, you think you, well, I'll sell when it gets to the old high. No, 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 no. This happens every time, every single time. Don't make those psychological mistakes. They're very simple to make. Don't make them. So I thought it was important to put this up here because this is very illustrative of how this is going to probably go. And uh, a lot of people, this happened to me in the last one, the last bull market. I got stupid. I bought into the new paradigm. It's been going up. It'll keep going up. And uh, I gave back a lot of my returns that don't be that person. That's the whole purpose of these videos is to educate you and give you the, the um, benefit of the experience that I had. All right, guys, uh, that's it for this week. Um, lots of things happening. Lots of, uh, I mean, everything could change between now and next, the, the next video. So um, that's why I think, you know, uh, the, the, bonus thing that we added to the actionable intelligence alert newsletter the discord channel is very important that's real-time information you're in there with other subscribers i'm on there quite a bit you know we're we're making moves and talking about things even between you know the month that goes on between the newsletter being published that can be a lifetime for a lot of these companies so um something to consider if you're interested in this type of investing or spe it's more speculating let's just be honest uh, if you're interested in that, then consider a subscription to the Actionable Intelligence Alert newsletter. The uh, information on how to subscribe is in the show notes below. Take a look at that. And uh, thank you for your support. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.